0: Welcome to Writers Festival Radio. My name is Sean Wilson, I'm the Artistic Director of the Ottawa International Writers Festival. As our third virtual season comes to a close, I want to take a moment to thank you for listening and for maintaining a sense of community, for supporting authors and booksellers and each other through this difficult time. We're broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishnabeg, and it's important to recognize our obligation as settlers on this land to work to repair the harms perpetrated upon Indigenous communities and to acknowledge the ongoing trauma colonialism continues to inflict. Today's host is Lisa Sampson. Lisa is our new board chair and is the managing principal of Strategy Corp's Ottawa office. She's been a legislative assistant to a member of parliament, a senior communications officer in the office of the leader of the opposition, the media logistics director for a national election campaign, and was a deputy campaign director for a major political party. For those grumbling about lockdowns and feeling constrained by all the public health measures, Our guest today, Edith Blay, can offer some profound perspective on constraint and loss of agency. Edith's unforgettable memoir, The Weight of Sand, covers the 450 days she spent in captivity as a hostage in the Sahara and her defiant refusal to have her humanity stripped away. Quill & Quire calls it an intimate account, a narrative characterized by terror, confusion, deprivation, and loneliness. It is also a depiction of hope, of finding possibility, in the bleakest of moments. Here's Lisa Sampson in conversation with Edith Blay.
1: Hello everyone. Welcome to the Ottawa International Writers Festival podcast. Our guest today is Edith Blay, the author of The Weight of Sand. It's the story of Edith and her friend Luca. Uh, who were held hostage by the Mujahideen in the Sahara for 450 days. Welcome to the Writers Fest podcast, Edith. Thank you very much for inviting me. (laughs) So you have quite the story, and I really want people to read your book. So I'm going to try not to give away all of the details uh, (laughs) of your book as we do this interview. I know that that's going to be a little bit difficult, um, but my first question to you is that it's only uh, just over a year and a half uh, since you regained your freedom. How are you doing? I'm doing
2: very well, actually. Um, I'm really happy to, to be free and I'm just enjoying life right now. So,
1: yeah. Good. Um, it's clear that you're a free spirit uh, from reading your book and that you live simply um, you write about this in the book, but can you tell us how you ended up in Africa? Uh, where were you headed? Uh, while I was
2: traveling, I met a bunch of people and I met uh, this friend of mine. Uh, he was, uh, he had um, a land in Togo and he, he had this uh, dream of uh, making a, uh, like a permaculture farm uh, with this land. And uh He was ready to start that project like um, two years later and we met again two years later and i was with luca so we talked about the this and he said oh yeah well you know what you can come and help me and uh, you can stay at my farm and uh, we'll have a lot of fun And like oh my god this is perfect Um, since i was young i was dreaming of uh, african culture and uh, yeah it's something that always spoke to me you know Uh, and luca was he wanted to do it also, and he was living in Italy. And he decided, like, well, maybe we can take my car from Italy and do it by land, and it'll go down to Togo with my car. Uh, so that's what we did. It was our, our big project.
1: And um, is it uh, just before I get into some more detailed questions about what happened when you were over there, um, is it is it traumatizing to talk about? um, your kidnapping?
2: Um, not right now. Um, I think just writing my book, I went through it so much that, um, I don't know, it's like I cleaned everything in my head and now I feel, uh, I feel, t- I feel fine talking about it. I don't have anything that uh, triggers, you know, uh, it's Good. okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. I wanted to make sure before I asked <laughs> any of these questions. Um, so you, Uh, The the title of the chapter where you are kidnapped, I believe, is called uh, The Mistake um, or something along those lines. And so I'm just wondering uh, what happened. There was a whole visa running out issue and um, there was a split second decision made. So maybe you could just walk us through uh, that. Uh, Yeah, we were in contact
2: with the a friend of my Togolese friend, uh, he was doing uh, it often. He was living in uh, Germany and he had his wife, his wife and kids were living in Ghana. So he was doing it by land very often and he did it one week before us. So we were in contact with him and he was saying, go here, stay here at this hostel and uh, this hotel and uh, go through here. This is safe. you like, uh, we were in contact with him the whole time we were going down. And at one point, uh, we took, like visa, the visa for Burkina Faso was very expensive, a lot more than we thought. So we decided to take uh, this uh, transit, just three days going through visa. It was a uh, a lot cheaper. Um, but we met this man from France, and he told us, "Well, you know what? You can have a visa. It's five countries. He had uh, Burkina Faso, uh, Côte d'Ivoire, uh, Benin, uh, Togo, uh, many." countries that you can go and it's cheaper and you can go in and out. Maybe you can try to get that visa. And so we decided to go to Wagadougou, but we only had three days. And the day we arrived, they said, you only have a transit visa. So transit and leave Burkina Faso. we had to leave it that same day. So we took a quick decision to, because we were going towards Togo and arriving in Togo, we were going to start working on the land. And I, I didn't want to stop traveling like i wanted to see more before we started that so i'm like oh maybe we can go to benai first you know um mm-hmm. it was my idea <laughs> and luca said oh yeah you want to go to benai so we decided to do that but we were we didn't have much time we had like some hours to get out uh so we didn't find any wi-fi which is hard to find in africa and uh check uh if it was uh dangerous or not that that um uh, that place we were going through and actually it turned out that it was really not recommended. Uh, There was a lot of uh, a lot of rebels that lived in the in the park. It was called the African Park we were going through and there there was a lot of rebels there. So yeah, that was a mistake.
1: And and you knew that you um, you were in trouble when there were cars that were stopped along the road with soldiers. intercepting the cars, I believe. Um, And so then what happened next? Well, actually we were going on the road. We
2: were alone uh, for many hours going,
1: and there was
2: holes everywhere. So we couldn't go very fast. We were going like 30 kilometers per hour. Um, The road was really damaged. And um, at one point the sun was going down. We were getting pretty close to the border, uh, Benin border. But uh, in the middle of the street, there were six men uh, blocking the street with uh, their AKs, and I mean, we we couldn't go further. We couldn't escape because the road was too damaged. We couldn't go fast enough, and uh, they they ran on the car and they they pointed the guns at us and they made us. They opened the door and made us get out of the car and uh, took us into the into the park to sit down, um, and that's what pretty much everything was starting like they they at that point they captured us we didn't know what was happening of course um my first thought was they were gonna like steal everything from us and i was just afraid that they were going to kill us and leave us in the woods like in the park um and i was really actually surprised when uh, i saw that no they didn't want to kill us they actually we were the people they wanted to to steal so
1: yeah that was Mm
2: -hmm. a a big surprise
1: yeah you you were the you were the commodity, if you will. You were the the prize. Um, yeah. I, I'm not going to ask you a lot of detailed questions about, uh, about your captivity, um, uh, but I do want to talk about uh, your use of poetry uh, throughout the book and how you were able to, um, maybe the story about how you found a pen, mm-hmm. uh, be able to write those poems down because you did not have a pen and paper was a precious uh, commodity as well. Uh, so maybe you can just tell us about um, how you uh, were able to write down the poems and um, perhaps the role that poetry played in um, uh, maintaining your peace of mind throughout the, the ordeal.
2: Yeah, um, just to go quickly, uh, I'm just gonna explain the first part uh, because I was with Luca Uh, for the first three months and then we got separated Um, and with Luca it was pretty hard because we were always hiding they were making us little um, little places that we were hiding laying down day and night we weren't we couldn't do anything like we could talk together to each other that that was pretty much it and after three months we got separated and they brought me to another camp a couple hundred kilometers further in the desert and I was put with three women and uh, when I arrived there, first of all, the women, I learned that they were there for between two, one was two years, the other one two years and a half and the other one three years at the moment I arrived. So, I mean, that was really long and that was quite a shock, like knowing nobody was getting out and everybody was just staying in the desert. And, and for years, it was like impossible to imagine. And uh, I, there was one of the women that had a pen on um. <laughs> and I remember when I was with Luca, I was telling him before we got separated, I was like, "Oh, if only I had something like if I had a pen, I could just do something with my mind, you know? I could write poetry and then like, like do something because you go crazy not doing anything ever, like every day." Um, so when I saw uh, the pen beside the woman, <laughs> that that woman, in um, and, in and the my book, I call her Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth um it I was so shy it was such a treasure for me I was so shy to ask her that it took me one week before I was like I got the courage week. to ask <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was just looking wow. at it like I was shining beside her <laughs> after one week I, I asked her like do you think he could lend me your pen and I was super shy and uh, she was like of course of course she wanted to help like whatever we could do to help each other we did it you know mm-hmm. um, so she was really happy and uh, we had um, little bits of uh, cardboard because we had we could do some tea with them uh, when we were with them so maybe some um, cardboard for the, the box you know, for the tea boxes I could write on um, so the first poem I asked her like oh give me uh, a word like what word inspires you? And uh, I wanted to write her a poem to to thank her for the, the the pen. And she said, "Light. So the first poem I wrote for her it was called "Lady Light." So I wrote the poem, and I was really happy to finally be able to just leave this place and go into one place in my mind, you know, where I felt where there was creativity and I could make up the world I wanted. and uh, I mean, the poems that you see in my book are not very dark, you know, because I was going somewhere. Uh, where I was feeling better. Um, Mm -hmm. So that the first one I I wrote for her, and when I I read it to her, she was really the nicest woman ever. (laughs) She was super encouraging. She said, oh my God, I I, like take the pen and you should write every day. And once you get out, you know, motivating me, once you get out, you're going to write a book and you're going to put your poetry in your book. And, (laughs) you know, and it's good to have something like a a focus uh, Mm. or, and that was a good focus for me. And it was good for them too, because I was with uh, the two other women under their their white tent. And uh, Mm. so each morning I was writing a poem and each morning I was reading them the poem and we were talking about it. So it would be something we would do together. and uh, It was good Mm. for everybody. I think it was, uh, yeah, it was really, really helpful. Mm.
1: And you stayed with the ladies for uh, how long before you were moved again? Uh, I stayed with them five months before oh, I was moved again. Yeah. And then you were on your own for a bit.
2: Yeah. And then they took me from them. I never knew why. Uh, I don't know now even why they separated me from them. Um, but they took me up north and I stayed alone uh, with the tour regs. They put me with the tour regs, uh, for six months. That was mm-hmm. the hardest part of my captivity when I was alone. It was really, really mm-hmm. hard.
1: And, but you still uh, you still had access to a, a pen. I still had the pen, but uh,
2: it it went out very quickly. So what I did is I would write and I would just like engrave and then take some ash and put it over so I could read myself again. So I, mean, <laughs> I didn't have the ink anymore. <laughs> it's amazing I had pen. Yeah. yeah, and I mean you don't have anything, so I mean you you do what you can, you know, to stay sane. I don't know.
1: Yeah. 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 And so how many, uh, poems did you write and how many were you able to, uh, escape with? I probably wrote like
2: 150 poems at least, <laughs> but wow. I left, yeah, I left with, uh, uh, 47 poems, um, that I hid under my, uh, under my clothes, uh, hoping like I, the chances they would keep uh, catches when we escape were really really big. So I was mm-hmm. afraid that they would just take them from me and it was for me it was a treasure. I mean I, I left with that and some water. It was the two things, you know, my mental yeah. and my physical health. <laughs> yeah. And um yeah, but uh you know what, we made it and I I came home with uh, 47 poems.
1: That's great. And do, were, did you recreate any of the others or are there 40 I didn't count. Are there 47 poems in the book? No, there's not uh,
2: 47. But there's a lot. Um, you know what? I can't even tell you exactly. Maybe 30, something a like that. A lot of them yeah. made it in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And was the poetry, just like Elizabeth had suggested, was the poetry the basis that led you to write the book? Did it give you the, the courage? It did. It, yeah. It did.
2: Yeah. When, once I arrived, I was actually in quarantine because um, I, I was coming from, uh, when I got out, they brought me to uh, Germany. For a week in a hospital and then i went back home and going back home since i traveled and everything they said well you still have to quarantine uh, 15 days so i was with my mother uh, in her house and i had these poems so i had my the computer i was writing the poems on the computer and then my family my friends my, i mean everybody had so many questions and i couldn't see myself explaining to them each every and everybody like exactly what happened once o- and again, you know, over, over and yeah. over again, and for me, the writing is a I love writing, and it's easier for me to express my feelings and when I think um with the writing. So I decided to actually you know what? I think I'm gonna just write it down, write mm-hmm. my poems in between, and uh, at first, I did it for my family and friends, so they would know you know, and uh, after that, it just went bigger and bigger and bigger, and, uh, yeah. Uh, actually made like a book and it went out into the world.
1: It's a, it's an excellent book and I, I encourage people to read it. It's uh it's, it's quite the story, uh, quite the ordeal uh, that you went through. I, I have to say that the last 70 pages, um, I read them yesterday all at once. And um, you had me, you had me crying. I was crying for you for You know, tears of fear, tears of joy, Um, the things that uh, resonate with resonated with me may not resonate the same way with other people. But um, I could almost see this being made into a movie uh, with the with the action packed last 70 pages Um, in terms of your escape. What was your biggest fear as you were escaping?
2: Uh, Well, that they would catch us. It was. I mean, the chances we would make it are very, very thin. And I was just put back with Luca for like one month before. And it was so hard being separated from him. So I was pretty sure that they would separate us again um, if they would catch us. Um, Because the first time we rebelled and that's why they separated us. And then they put us finally back together after we converted uh, to Mm -hmm. Islam. Um, mm-hmm. and then I was afraid that they would separate us again. That was my biggest fear. So, or maybe that we would be killed. that was a pretty, yeah. The two things that were the worst in my mind, like the,
1: yeah, the scariest thing. So that's what, that was what that gave you the, the push to take the chance to escape was that you were, you were afraid that they would separate you once again. And, and, and what oh. would happen?
2: Well, no, I think uh, it was, we had to try something. I mean, it was that or you would stay there for years and it was impossible to think that we would still be there another day. So I was ready. I was ready to at least try. I mean, just for my mental health, at least try something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was, that was it. Yeah. I had to
1: there were several things that um, that that resonated with me as I was reading about your captivity, uh, your mental endurance for uh, when you were um, put literally put in a hole and uh, and told to stay still because they were the captors were worried about the drones flying over and any movement. Um, but one of the things that stayed with me was. Uh, you lost your contact lenses or you had to remove your contact lenses. And so you didn't have a uh, full vision for uh, most of your time in captivity. Just tell us maybe a little bit about that. Cause I were eyeglasses myself and my vision, I mean, not, not for living through that and not being able to see properly. Uh, what was that like? It was, you feel
2: very vulnerable because I mean, it's, uh, they're and sometimes they have to, you have to run away from this. I mean, they, they make you run with them, but, um, and they're stressed they're, they're, they think like it's life or death when there's drones everywhere and they're like, you have to flee and then they make, they make you do stuff, but I couldn't see and I couldn't understand their language. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was by the signs and the signs, I could not see what they were doing. So it was very stressful and they didn't understand that I couldn't see. So was, I didn't want them to think that I was rebelling or anything. It's just, I didn't know what they wanted, you know? And it was actually pretty, sometimes when I was alone, I mean, it was okay, but when it was in this type of like, they were running away, they were super stressed and uh, I had to listen uh, by the, like every order, but I, they, they weren't talking to me, they were making signs and I couldn't see them. It was really
1: uh, frightening, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially if you don't understand the language and so you're relying on visual cues and you can't quite... Exactly. See. And the I couldn't see. Cues. So. Oh <laughs> yeah, and they don't,
2: they don't come close to the woman either because of their religion. So they were always staying very far from me so, and my vision is very bad. So I couldn't... Mm-hmm. I was trying to see and sometimes I was not seeing the good thing and then uh, they would react and then I didn't know what to
1: do. And yeah. My goodness, and the other thing that um, the, the the various captors uh, you named them, uh, I viewed that as a as a humanizing thing. You didn't know what their names were, although in some cases I think you 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 got to know them. But you named them all uh, throughout the book. Um, tell us more about that.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like you said, it was humanizing. I was usually using a quirk they had to name them. So it made them a little bit less uh, dangerous to my eye, you know, a little bit. I could see that they had flaws and uh, they were human. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would, that would help me in my mind. Yeah. To, yeah. to be less afraid maybe of them.
1: Yeah. Um, you also vividly account, uh, uh, your, you vividly speak about your, um, Relationship with the wild as well. There were snakes, and the the part that got to me were the ants. And um, (laughs) but even in the book, you talk about being put in a hole that was filled. It was obviously an ant hill, and you even found a way to embrace that—that this was their territory and you were invading their territory. And I. I, I found it to be just a fascinating coping mechanism that you had for trying to understand the other, um, even down to the level of an ant.
2: Well, things you can't change, you have to or go crazy <laughs> or let it go, you know. So
1: uh, I was mm-hmm. trying to
2: be careful of the energy I was losing. Um, I was trying to keep the more most energy I could. So things like that. There's a lot of things that I would just usually go crazy on, but I just had to let it go not to lose any energy for anything for nothing. And you know, for me, the way I see life is life is somehow perfect and uh the ants are supposed to be there and I was the person that was on their territory and you know, that was it. I mean, they they were not mean ants. They were just doing their things and they were attacking me because <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> yeah.
1: I just found it a great way to think about it. I I just thought, wow, there is always a different way to to think about something even being in with a a pile of of ants for the for the evening or or days on end, Um, you practice yoga because you weren't allowed to move. And uh, it took a while for you to figure out that you could practice yoga while you were lying there to keep your muscles from atrophying. Um, Do you still practice yoga? Is it something that has stayed with you?
2: I did it for a while, but it's uh, like an on off thing, depending on what I'm doing. um, And uh, I I would say right now I stopped uh, for, but I, when I do it, I feel really good. So I I should actually try (laughs) to start again. I really love yoga. You feel great after. So
1: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah, it was helping me a lot when I was there because I mean, you feel so bad if it's, so hard that just the little tiny thing that makes you feel good. I mean, it's worth, uh, it's like a treasure. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, uh, after you've escaped and you make it to the United Nations building, and then you're, you, you make it over to the, um, Canadians, um, you describe, and I think it was in, I can't remember where you were, where you did a happy dance over coffee. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But but what, after 450 days of eating what is handed to you, uh, what were the things that you most cherished? I'm assuming access to a pen, uh, but also coffee. I can totally empathize with doing a happy dance over coffee. Um, But maybe tell us more about the things that really resonated with you uh, coming out of captivity.
2: Yeah. When you get out of there, I mean, you, I've been 15 months with nothing. So, everything I was getting, like the smallest thing, was worth everything, you know? So, and coffee, I mean, it was the best thing when I saw that I was going to get coffee. I was just dancing. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to live this moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was wonderful. I still love my coffee in the morning. Um, you know, when I got some fruit, also just getting some vitamins or something good for your body that uh, you feel like with. So much, I like, you don't have any energy when you're there. You don't have any nutri- nutrients or anything. So just, that was also wonderful. They asked me when they, they got me in the Canadian embassy, at the Canadian embassy, what do you want? I was like, fruits! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was the first thing I wanted. That and after coffee. Um, Yeah, and uh, just the small things. I mean, just be able to walk and take a walk as far as I want. I mean... For me, when I got out, I was like, "Oh my god!" I mean, I'm so free. <laughs> yeah, so everything and was beautiful.
1: The soft blanket as well.
2: Oh yeah, I remember they they gave me uh, at the minibus. They gave me uh, this blanket, and it was so so soft. I was just putting it all over my face, so like something soft in the desert. Everything is so like hard and like pointy, and <laughs> I don't know, very <laughs> venomous. Uh, I don't know. So Rough. yeah, just you're yeah, rough, just like getting something like soft that makes you feel good. That was like, oh my God, I just want to cuddle up and put it all over me. <laughs> cuddle, yeah.
1: So after being in captivity for 450 days, you gain your freedom on March 13th, 2020. And so the significance of that is obvious uh, for for most people during the pandemic, but you had no idea Uh, Why people were behaving the way they were behaving uh, in terms of no handshakes and elbow bumps. And um, what was it like coming back to Canada during a pandemic and um, having dealt with what you dealt with, um, having the phrases like lockdown be part of the, the, the phrases that were used over here during the pandemic? Well,
2: when you compare, I mean, for me, I was just so happy to be free that, I mean, even if I, it was the way it was, it was so much better than what I was living. So I was just happy. I mean, it's okay. Like I'm slowly coming back to life. That's it. I mean, uh, that was it. I mean, I was used to saying like, there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm just going to go with it. And that was pretty much it. So I wrote my book. That's, yeah, because of that, I wrote my book and it brought some positive stuff. And um, yeah, and it's okay. I mean, um, for sure, I was hoping. I remember when I was in the desert, I was hoping like coming back and seeing my friends and going to like these places and being super free. But you know, slowly, I came back. It wasn't exactly that, but slowly, it was. It was coming back. You know, it was
1: better. So it was better. Yeah, it was better. Yeah. So besides doing your book tour, what are you doing now? Uh, Well, I was traveling with my boyfriend
2: in the van uh, for the last two months. And uh, right now we're just taking a pause because uh, it's kind of getting cold in the van. (laughs) 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 But then I think we're going to go because we have to stay for the the end of uh, November. And then I think we're maybe going to go travel again, uh, maybe south. So? So, yeah. Maybe in the so, United States, uh, South United States, with a van. Good.
1: Uh, so, do you think you'll ever return to Africa?
2: No, 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 that's done. I mean, there's so many beautiful places, and uh, first of all, I wouldn't want to do that for, to my family. <laughs> I don't see myself saying I'm going to Africa. My my family going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no and uh it's done. Wonder. Yeah, it's done. It's okay. Oh, i just another chapter, you know, there's other places. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing it safe now. Yeah.
1: Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're an excellent writer Edith. It was a great uh it was a a fascinating book and uh you gave us a glimpse into uh what had happened. Do you think that you would uh use the your writing ability to write a uh, perhaps a book of poetry or a novel are you thinking that you might write more
2: well I'm just taking things as they come I'm I usually don't plan too much in advance and writing this book was um uh, it took a lot of like writing a book is a big thing so uh, it took a lot of time and um so right now it's done <laughs> and uh maybe further because I love writing maybe further on but uh, for now I mean I'm just happy with this book and uh, um, yeah,
1: and if anybody has any questions, you can just say here. I wrote a book. There you go. Everything's there. <laughs> it's all in there. It's all yeah. in there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending uh, time with me today to talk about your your journey and for uh, sharing it with the world uh, so that they can understand more about what's happening um, in in the Sahara and and why and. Um, I just appreciate your time and I hope and that you enjoy your travel into the States uh, and that um, that you I I really do hope you continue to write because it was uh, you have a real gift for poetry and for writing so
0: thank you
1: thank you very much
0: thanks
1: very much take care okay you too
0: That was Lisa Sampson in conversation with Edith Leigh about her memoir, The Weight of Sand, My 450 Days Held Hostage in the Sahara. As always, I want to thank you for listening and for supporting authors and booksellers through these difficult times. Our official bookseller is Perfect Books on Elgin and wherever you are right now, there's an independent bookseller nearby who would be more than happy to sell you some great books. If you enjoy the podcast or any of our virtual programming, please consider making a charitable donation. I want to thank the ottawa public library the government of canada the government of ontario the city of ottawa the ontario arts council the canada council for the arts Carleton university and cbc for their ongoing support this podcast is produced by aaron flynn original music and sound engineering by mike dubay kira harris is our program director and i'm sean wilson thank you for listening